When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell He scores the ball and he rebounds well Don't fight the future, here comes Luca Heaven. Welcome to 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, the only Mavericks podcast that would never blow a 3-2 series lead. I don't know. We're, we're no Doc Rivers is what I'm trying to say. Uh, please never compare us to Doc Rivers. I'm Tim Cato. I'd rather talk about the Mavericks. We've got Mike Bellucci, Dave DeFore, the usual gang of characters, and... We're coming to you Friday morning, Friday mid-afternoon after the Mavericks advance for the first time since the title run. They have won a playoff series. And it wasn't the cleanest win. It wasn't the easiest win. They did some stuff that I think we should talk about. In fact, I think we're going to talk more about the series that was, you know, maybe a 2010 split. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about Phoenix and in, in the series that's to come. That that's going to start Monday night, but I think I think there's value in just going back for this Utah series, and you know a lot of the stuff we will talk about will reflect onto the you know how, who the Mavericks are as a postseason team. What do you guys make of Game Six? Just broadly, I just want superficial first impression thoughts from uh, from one. Do you of want you guys. to tell you the truth? I actually thought they were going to blow it at the end. Oh yeah. yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, they weren't playing well. I think they kind of lucked into it a little bit. Utah blew um, it more. Utah blew it more. That was well, see. Yeah. This is the story of the Utah Jazz, which I'll get. Yeah, into, that's uh, yeah. You know, with with Tony later. But the truth is, man, like I thought this was like both teams blowing it, and just that Utah blew it more. Well, it, to me, it felt sort of. I guess like the inverse of games one and four, where Dallas lost one and four. And yet you, if you look at the particulars of that game, you're sitting there going, oh, Utah barely eked that out. Dallas should feel unfortunate they lost, not because they played especially well, but just because process-wise, the right things were in place. And they lost. They didn't hit the right shots, whatever. You know, game one, they didn't have Luka. It's going to be fine. Last night, I felt like everything Dallas was doing to Utah in the early games, Utah did them, right? Dallas was the one being forced to do really difficult shots. If you looked at the shot quality, uh, expecting metrics, Utah had a 74% chance to win that game. And they did because they were getting what they wanted in the paint. And meanwhile, Dallas basically leaned on really hot three-point shooting in the second half to kind of come back and win this, which, hey, that can win you some games. And you know what? Frankly, if you if you sit there and say, well, you should have won one of game or, games one or four and you should have lost last night, karmically it balances out. Dallas is definitely the better team in the series. But just watching that game when Utah is getting everything they want in the interior, Dallas is taking a lot of threes. And it should really be said that, Luca had a pretty rough fourth quarter. I mean, the last four minutes of that game, 
where he just did the slow down, Luca, I'm going to step back or kind of scramble with eight seconds left of the clock for somebody else. That, that all, I mean, that to me was the biggest thing that should have lost in that game. I thought, well, they Dallas went small. Dallas yeah, went Dallas small. small. And so it made sense that Utah kept getting to the rim. You want to know a funny stat about that small ball lineup? Yes. So they played, they played 18 minutes in the second half. Yeah. They were plus eight. The moment Jason Kidd goes to the small ball lineup, they go on an 8-0 run. Now, ups and downs, you know, peaks and valleys. After that 8-0 run, that small ball lineup played Utah exactly dead even. It was not, it was not some, you know, it's funny. We talked about how they could go small. We talked about how it was going to be difficult to go small in this series without Luca because Luca's the fifth reliable shooter that they can put into that small ball lineup. It made sense that it wasn't really used up to this point. It, it played, uh, what did I say? Did I say 18 minutes? They played 14 of the 24 minutes in the second half. They had played 22 minutes total this series. So they had, they had played eight minutes with Dorian Finney-Smith as the only center coming into this game. And they spent 14 more minutes playing that lineup in the second half and it worked, but just barely, you know, it, it worked because Dallas right. is just a better team. Honestly, I, I kind of look at that and I'm like, you know, I, I think they, I don't know how much differently that second half would have gone if Maxi Kleba or Dwight Powell had been the fifth guy for most of the time. May have gone better because they they're better at defense. I mean, like that's the thing is like, uh, maybe it was a little cute, but, when you're up 3-2, you have the luxury to be a little cute right. sometimes. And, and it worked out this time. But is it silly that we're... Reps, I think it's important it, reps for them going forward. Yeah, I agree with that. Is it is it silly for us to say it's cute when we talked so much about that small ball lineup? <laughs> I mean, it's a good lineup. Right. But, I, mean, I mean, I like it a lot. I, I wanted to see it. I, I asked Utah. Jason... Yeah. yeah. I asked Kid a lot I mean, of look, questions last about night... it throughout the series. So... It's not the idea of the lineup. It's just interesting now. Now that we finally saw it fully unleashed for a long period of a half of a game, yeah, it was fine. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't the uh, the panacea. It wasn't the cure all. It wasn't the the solution to beating Utah. It's just a lineup that they put out there that got the job done. Yeah, I mean the defensive stuff. As much as I harp on the you know the points of the paint thing and the lineup and all that, to me the offensive execution was way more of a problem. And I don't think that's going to be a thing going forward. It was just a bad night. They got a little stagnant. It happens. It's the sort of stuff that if they try that against Phoenix, they'll pay, they'll pay hard for that. But last night it was enough. They're just a, they were just a better team. We've said that the whole time. They were a better team. They were a tougher team. I have no doubt that even if they blew that game, if it goes to seven in the AAC, they'd win that game seven. Like I could not envision a way once Luka Doncic came back and they're up two one. I could not envision a way in which they did not win this series. That said, you say it's going to be better. You say you don't imagine it's going to happen again. But you said it also played out, and it did, just like it did in Game 4. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I felt like endgame execution last night was worse than I'd seen at any other point in the series. I didn't like, like They stopped attacking. The, yeah, I didn't like settling for the getting the switch on Gobert and then settling. Right. That, to me, was, I mean, listen, man, Donovan Mitchell was on the court. How about go with Donovan Mitchell? He's not trying. Yeah, they stopped. They stopped doing yeah, that. Exactly. Well, they, started, not they started trapping so Luka more, too. That was mm-hmm. the most they trapped in a game this series. And they did. They had some long, long rotations where they trap him on the weak side. Or, sorry, they trap him on the strong side on the wing. And then as soon as Luka gives up the ball, and normally it would be swing, swing, swing. Sometimes it was swing, swing, swing to the corner shooter. 
And one of the people trapping Luca would have to sprint all the way across the court and get there. And a couple times they didn't. But, you know, I thought it was a subtle, not series defining. It wouldn't have changed the series. I agree they're, they were going to win game seven. Um, although it would have been awful to lose it on a buzzer beating walk off. Um, yes. But I agree. They they were going to win the series. But, you know, they, they did they did change things up a little bit. Uh, and I thought Luca, you know, I, I thought he was exhausted in the second half. He played the entire second half. And, you know, I thought that was part of it. You know, he probably doesn't have his peak conditioning back. We don't need to go into his overall conditioning and, and you know, everything we saw in the Clippers series last year, uh, which, again, we're asking him to be at the 99th percentile of conditioning because he's in the 99th percentile of touches and on-ball usage, etc. So, And this is the time of year when you need that. You know, yeah. I, I think as much as people sometimes complain about it in October, you can get by in October with that. But this is this is when he's got to be ready, you know. OK, we're we're skewing a little into just focusing on the negatives. What's the most positive thing you learned about the Mavericks from the series, especially oh. going forward into the postseason? I mean, Jalen Brunson is that guy. And I don't just mean like now he's not like a one B, but having a guy that can get to the paint as consistently as he does to completely break down the defense, get him in rotation. The way he was finding shooters in the corner, I mean, this is a game changer for them because he does it in a way that Luka doesn't. Luka does tend to settle for that step back, and it's great, especially when he's hitting it. Jalen Brunson gets the, the defense on his heels, and he forces them to make decisions. They have got to do something because he's going to the paint. When he had Rudy Gobert dancing around in the paint last night, which, by the way, uh, totally fine defense by Gobert. Like Gobert is yeah. trying to guess where this water bug point guard is going. Um, he's got a, like a foot and a half on him. It, it's you know Rudy shouldn't. Like, Rudy has no business being that good at that matchup. Yes. That's how good and, Gobert is. I mean, it, he was like it was like you ever seen in Rocky where he's chasing the the chickens. That's what it looked like. <laughs> and, Rocky references, yes, uh, yeah. And Jalen Brunson being able to do that is such a, a luxury for for them. Um, so I think that's my my biggest takeaway is just that. They have other dudes, not just guys. They've got some dudes. The the Big classic difference. dudes guys corollary. Big difference, dudes. You guys are dudes, not just guys. Every everybody falls somewhere on a spectrum that starts on one end with guys and ends on the other with dude. So I mean, listen, hey, bro, can I? If you could be a dude, that's a guy. I like to think that it's okay. That's awful. <laughs> I like to think that it's a uh, it's a uh, it's got an X and a Y axis, and so it's guy yes. and dude is the uh, X the axis, but the is Y is right. bro to um, it's bro to homie, maybe. I don't know. It's bro to know. brother. That's what it is. You're either a bro or you're a brother. Yeah. Hey. Okay. So I want to jump ahead to um, I still want to talk about this jazz series, but talking about Brunson does give me the one thought I have about the Sun series. I think that Phoenix starts with Mikael Bridges on on Brunson. I was going to bring this up if, I, because I think, if you were yeah. if you were Phoenix, right? And the one thing, as much as we say Jalen Brunson is that dude, the one, the final boss is can he handle a defender with length? That's what we need to know. And this dovetails what we're talking about with Luca and Luca looking gas last night. And to be fair, you know when we say conditioning, a large part of conditioning is health. He's probably still not one hundred percent healthy, right? There's stuff that's not in his control here. If you're Phoenix and you saw last year's playoffs and a peak Luka Doncic could not beat the Clippers by himself, what is to stop you from throwing bridges on Jalen Brunson? And by the way, as much as Brunson's progressed, that's the best perimeter defender in the league. I will bet on Mikel Bridges every time. 
what's to stop you from throwing him on Brunson? Former teammates. Former teammates know each other very well. What's to stop them from throwing him on Brunson, locking him down, and telling Luca, who is dealing with an injury, who is not peak conditioning, okay, 35 a night for seven games. You do that, maybe you can beat us. If I'm Phoenix, that's exactly what I do. I think think that we've we've never seen Luca shut down by a single defender. You shut him down with multiple defenders. You shut him down with multiple pick and roll schemes. And again, you don't shut him down, but you bother him. You make him uncomfortable. You do not. I, I don't see the value of putting your best defender on Luca and letting Luca draw two fouls on him and wear him into the ground and eventually solve him because he solves every defense. What you have to do is you throw a lot of looks at him and you bother him. You make him slow down. You make him slow the tempo. You tire him out. You don't put Mikael Bridges on him for 48 minutes. I think it makes a ton of sense to shut down, you know, the guy who averaged 28 points on league average efficiency in the first round. And that's Brunson. And, you know, I, I, it just, it just makes so much sense to me. Um, So that's, that's my one thought. And I, I think that's a fascinating question, whether they do it, how Brunson responds, what the trickle down effect is, what Luca looks like, you know, I, I think that alone is something that we could spend 10 minutes on, um, you know, but I don't think we need to um, go ahead, Dave. All right. I have a question from this series. And if we're thinking forward, right. Is Maxi back? Is he just, did, did he find the confidence or is it just open jump shots all day long? And he's going to, he's just stuck a bunch of them. I mean, I feel like the last couple of games, some of those looks that he was firing in game two, he was passing up. Although I did enjoy the Maxi runner last night. I've watched a lot of Maxi Kleba in my day, and I can't remember the last time that happened. Um, but no, I don't feel entirely confident he's back. Uh, I do think this is a better series for Bright Powell than Utah was, though. So you've got that going for you. Yeah, I thought Kleba was, you know, bothered by the game six-ish-ishness of uh, everything that was happening. That's a word. I like that. Uh, no, no, no. It, it, it perfectly encapsulates the feeling of a game six. Here, you know my issue with Maxi um, in game six? It wasn't just that he wasn't spotting up or, or that he was hesitating on shots. When Utah started trapping Luka, and sometimes it was more of a soft trap, it, it wasn't a we're both going to be on both of your hips and make you pass. Sometimes the guy just hung out up there and was like, I'm not going to let you drive, but I'm not going to commit to you. I'm going to make you just kind of think about what we're doing. And Maxi would float into the lane and do nothing. He wouldn't roll, but then he would take his time actually getting out to spot up. It wasn't a pop because, you know, he was going into the paint, but then he was just standing there, sitting there. And it left Luca a few too many times where he would easily break and break past his defender. His defender would kind of let him go. And then he would just run right into the, the drop coverage big, who was just stationary there. And Maxi had not done something, whether it's spotting up or whether it was a smart movement role that tries to free some space uh, in the way that Dwight Powell does. Uh, Maxi wasn't doing that stuff. And, and that's part of his offensive limitations. Like the reason he doesn't shoot two pointers is because he's not good at finding space within the two point within the three point arc. Um, you know, unless he's splitting a double team and shooting a one footed 18 foot fade, you know. Like that's like he doesn't naturally find space for shots of his in those areas. He did have a uh, an alley oop at one point. Um, that you know that's a a small blessing, 
But I thought overall just his movement was ineffective. And that to me is is a concern just as his uh, slight hesitancy he had shooting threes was also a concern, uh, you know, kind of throughout his minutes in game six. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Since we're in the business of asking questions here, I'll ask one too. What is your concern level of the workload being put on Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock? Because we, Jake Kemp did something for us ahead of yesterday's game, which is still very relevant. I encourage you guys to check it out. Just showing the really historic amount of minutes for two non-all-star type guys that Dallas is asking of them. They're playing 40 plus a night every night. And last night made me wonder a bit about what Jason Kidd's patience level for Josh Green is at this point when the jumper outside of, I think was game two, just isn't going anywhere. And if you don't trust Josh Green to play minutes, then those guys are not getting breaks. And how long do you guys think that this can last at the rate that it's been going? Because if you're not playing Josh Green, then you need those guys to keep going 40 a night. I mean, I, I don't think you can worry about it. And I know that that's, like, <laughs> that's not really an answer. Because who the hell else is going to play? If you want to win the games, man, you need Dorian Finney-Smith and, and Reggie Bullock probably playing 40 to 44 minutes a night. That's especially in this series coming up against the Suns because the Suns have – they've got wings who can actually play. And, and the guys that they have can put the ball on the floor in a way that Utah couldn't. So I hope they're not tired. How many miles is a marathon? 26.1. 26.2. All right. Well, Dorian and Reggie have combined to run about a marathon and a half in this series. They're at, uh, let me do quick math here, uh, about 18. They're at 36 miles traveled on the court through six games. That's a lot. Like, like it's not, it, it's a, com- it's like it's a minister playing, but they're also mm-hmm. people who move a lot. Uh, honestly, if they have the ball more, they, they would probably have fewer, uh, you know, miles on them, you know, but because they're always relocating because they're always spacing the floor because they're movement shooters to an extent, you know, Reggie more than Dorian and, you know, neither of them as much as a JJ Redick or something like that. But, you know, they're both movement shooters. They're both relocation shooters and they're guys who are constantly tracking the, the, the best offense players on the other end. That means you're going to move your feet a whole lot. And, and, you know, Dorian has also had some success pushing the ball in transition, you know, so, you know, you're mixing into that just bucket load of miles at some actual sprints and, you know, soccer people know that, you know, sprints sometimes is what takes the most out of you. You know, if you can, if you can moderate your, you know, the, the output of energy, uh, you can stay in a game longer, but you only have X number of sprints in you. Well, that's the LeBron James method. This is how he can play 40 minutes a night and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, 
have the same wear and tear. But unfortunately for Dallas, like they just don't have the luxury of yeah, those I guys. There's doing nothing you can do. You just got to keep playing those guys. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, you hope they can hold up and you hope that because there's so much more rest between games now that it just it doesn't accumulate the same way. Even within games, which is worth noting, that's something Jason Kidd has said several times is that he's more willing in national TV games. He said this throughout the regular season. He was more willing to extend people's minutes for that reason. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think you keep playing them. I, I, I think that. Like sports medicine and, and Dave, you can speak to this a little bit. The Mavericks have some ability to track the fatigue levels of players. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately that that's kind of why it's like I, I just don't there's nothing I can say to it. Like I, I don't know that the Mavericks have some level of numbers saying how fatigued those two players are. And without knowing that, you know, I can't really second guess whether they should or should not be playing that many minutes. I can see missed shots and dead legs and, and short misses and uh, air balls and, and think, you know, maybe this might be fatigue playing in or playing a factor. But, you know, I, I'm not at any point going to say unless somebody tells me who knows this information that they're playing too much. I'm not going to say they're playing too much. And I also don't think there's much of a choice that kid has. It's also the playoffs. Right. I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't want to do the thing that that. um where I like clutch pearls over a guy's minute load in the playoffs because guess what, man? That's sports. I need 48 minutes from Dorian Finney Smith. Really? Like, I need 48 minutes of it. So, 44 is uh, almost good enough. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's this is the time, and especially in this next series because the Phoenix Suns are not the Utah Jazz, they don't fall apart. Oh, no. You, Quite the opposite. Need, yeah. So, you need Dorian Finney Smith out there the whole time. Because it it can get late really early when you're playing the Suns, especially with Devin Booker back. Is he fully back though? I mean, well, well that's well, that's we'll the big we don't. Yeah, know. I mean, that's the big question that could swing this in Dallas's favor if Book isn't Book. Um, yeah, I mean, Tim, you brought up something interesting earlier, which I think is a great point about throwing different looks at Luca. Phoenix is better equipped to do that, not just better than Utah, because most teams are better equipped to throw defensive looks at Luca than than Utah is, but. I mean, you could go Mikel Bridges. You could go even longer, three, four types with Cam Johnson or Jay Crowder. You could even put Chris on him for little stretches. You've got a mobile big and Aiton. They can do so much. And that is going to be quite the challenge for Dallas to navigate because Utah tried to make adjustments. And I think Quinn Snyder did about everything you could do with the roster he had and just everything he's working with. Monty Williams has a really good roster. I mean, that roster, that team just doesn't seem to have weaknesses if they're healthy. And it's going to be, this is going to be a great test for Jason Kidd. I don't think Jason Kidd fails in any way if he can't beat this team. He should not beat this team. But it's going to be a great test to see what can Jason Kidd cook up tactically against a roster that can do almost anything you want a roster to do. Yeah. Dave, uh, you have another podcast, Nerder She Wrote. You said you talked a little bit about this series. What, what's your broad thoughts you know again we're not doing a deep dive into the series yeah. we may have another podcast this weekend uh where we do exactly that but you know as the resident nba guy uh more so than us anyway what you know give us a couple things that you're just most interested in i think the late game execution differences between the two teams um if you just can go I, and can watch... i interrupt you to say that you said late game and i'm already having ptsd at how late these games are going to be oh my god man 
Uh, all the listen, man. All these playoff games, and I'm East Coast time right now, hanging out uh, with my friends, like on vacation, and uh, well, working vacation. And let me tell you, there is no worst. Like you can't name a worse place to watch NBA games than the Eastern Time Zone. I've Terrible. watched them. I've watched them in Central European. I've watched them in <laughs> Belgrade. I've watched them in South Korea. I've watched it in Japan. I literally have watched basketball all over the world and for some reason the east coast has it the worst the game well, start at seven and they end at like 4 a.m it's awful dave well yeah i agree but dave let's get back to your point about late game execution because i agree yes. we should execute every single rant. late game Just, <laughs> yes we should we gotta like, get rid guillotine, of all guillotine of them. style execute them. Um, yeah <laughs> but for dallas and phoenix okay so the late game stuff i mean phoenix has been the best all year and it helps because you got Chris Paul and Devin Booker and, oh, yeah, Mikael Bridges can also do stuff off the dribble. Oh, yeah, Cam Johnson can also do stuff off the dribble. They have so much shooting. And they still have DeAndre Ayton who gets stuff done for you. So it's just pick your poison for Phoenix, and guess what? They actually run shit. They run stuff every freaking possession. No wasted possessions. Some of it's just simple. They're Spain pick and roll. Get used to it. If, you, if, you, if you're a Dallas Mavericks fan – and you don't know the Spain pick and roll, you were gonna you were gonna know it by the end of the It's first what Dallas game. did in game five really effectively. They they exactly. killed Utah with the Spain. Yeah. Um and, and so running uh, you know, they run stuff, and I think Dallas, and in particular, if you go and look at the game that they just won against Utah, that they sort of backdoor won to me, they backed through to the victory. Their late game stuff was uninspiring. It was, hey, Luca, dribble. Let's get the switch and dribble and then do something. And I think that if Dallas wants to have a chance, they are going to have to run their stuff. And that means, like, put the put the ball in Jalen Brunson's hands, too. Don't just say, hey, Luca, work a switch. Because guess what? Who are you switching to? Yeah. <laughs> there are no weak links. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that is the key to the series to me is going to be that offensive execution. I actually believe in Dallas's defense. I think that Dallas can can really hold up against Phoenix and you know hold up against Phoenix. Phoenix won sixty four games this year. It's a, it's, it's going to be a tough ask, and Phoenix so, should win this series. I think in six. I have one question about the defense: Is well, that the Mavericks on. are well, really good? Let me finish my point. But, oh, my but I think Dallas can push them because they've got the defense. It's all about the offense, though. So Phoenix famously doesn't play an offense that should be efficient, right? They don't take a lot of corner threes. They don't take a lot of shots at the rim. They just have the two best mid-range shooters in the league, just about. Dallas's offense is really good, as we saw. You know What they did to Utah early was they denied their open three-point looks. They denied a quantity of three-point looks to Utah. And on top of that, still somehow prevented Gobert from getting easy dunks the entire series. Phoenix might look at... Dallas and be like, yeah, take that stuff away. That's that's not what our offense is anyway. Um, I also believe in the Dallas defense. I think that Dallas will cause problems. I think having Finney Smith and Bullock uh, to guard to you know the only two creators that that uh, that Phoenix really has. I think that matters. I think that's important. I don't think a lot. Of, I don't. I don't think there's only so many teams that have that luxury, and there's only so many teams that Phoenix has faced this regular season. That has been able to throw that out. Honestly, New Orleans was kind of one of them with uh, Alvarado and, and Jose Jones or uh, Herb Jones. Herb Jones. But, 
Herb Jones, thank you. Um, but I, I guess that's one of my questions. Um, it's just how that looks, you know? Does is, is Can Dallas also take away what Phoenix does well, which is uniquely and totally different than what uh, than what Utah did well? I don't know. I mean, because the problem is, is that, okay, Phoenix, let's say you try to do that. Let's try, you clamp down a mid-range game. Then you just give a team that can actually shoot the more efficient looks. Like that's not, you can take them out of their comfort zone. Their backup plan is the stuff that is most effective against everybody. And that's why they're so difficult, right? How do you scheme against them on offense? How do you scheme against them on defense? Like they're, I can buy the arguments that Golden State at their peak may even be better than Phoenix, but I don't know if there's a team that has fewer holes than Phoenix out there. It just feels very difficult to attack them. Right. Yeah, it's an open-ended question. There's, like, the series will will answer it. Uh, The coaching staff will spend a lot of hours between now and Monday night hoping they can come up with a solution. We're not on coaching staffs for a reason. Um, I've never claimed to be able to predict as well as analysis, uh, analyze, you know, from the past or analyze things that are on the court. I think that's just an interesting open-ended question that we can we can kind of point to as as being one of the big questions in this series. I think the other one is, is what are the, what is the Mavericks um, or who plays the most at center for Dallas? Because I think there's I think three it's options. Be Powell, right? It's got to be Powell. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's you know, we, we got Powell, we got Maxie, we got small ball. Um, you know, I will it's, say though, Maxie... In the pick and roll, Maxi, he brings so much value, but I just – is he going to bring it on the offensive end? And I think with Dwight, you can at least he, – He brings value defensively in the pick and roll. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But I think that on with Dwight, yeah, he he's going to hold up okay in the in pick and roll defense, but he's going to give you a real threat running to the basket. I mean, you want to try to get Aiton in foul trouble, and I think that Dwight Powell it, you know, in the pick and roll with Luka could be one way to try to do that. How does Phoenix usually play Aiton um, as a pick-and-roll coverage guy? It varies. They, they mix up their coverages a lot. And it's one of the reasons why they're so tough. But Aiton can – I mean, he can blitz. He can show and recover. I mean, he just is good at moving his feet. And then all of their guys defend so well. Everybody right. – like, uh, if a guy is supposed to dig down, guess what? He digs down. If a guy is supposed to rotate, they rotate. I mean, it's just – they are a well-oiled machine. And I think that – you know, maybe their margin for error isn't as high because they don't have like Nikola Jokic with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, right? And we've gotten so used to these great teams having like Steph Curry and and his ceiling being so high that it can make up for some of your issues. What they do to make up for their lack of uh, a top 10 guy is that all of their guys are like, I don't know, top 60. <laughs> and then they all just do their job all the time and that's it. Which is is huge. That's why they won sixty four games in spite of missing all that time. Like Booker was out, Aiton was out, Chris Paul was out. It did not matter. They did not stop winning. And so that's the thing. Their consistency is the thing that is special about them. And I think, look, the to give this a little silver lining, if you're listening to this and starting to worry a bit, well, how do you beat a team like that? Because they're not going to beat themselves. The answer is you beat them and you beat them with star power. And Dallas, guess what? Has the best player in the series. And we say it all the time, but it can never, ever be said enough that Luka Doncic can do things that nobody can predict. Luka Doncic can beat teams in ways that nobody can see coming. So you, they won't hand you opportunities like Utah did. But now you have Luka Doncic from the start of the series with 
couple days rest. So maybe this is Luca taking things up a notch. And he's going to have to. This is going to have to be an amazing Luca Doncic series for the win. What does it mean that the Mavericks advanced to the second round for the first time in 11 seasons? It's like, it means that's this, important. Yeah, no, this is this season's a success. Uh, yeah, it is a successful season no matter what happens. This is house money at this point. Where you know they could get swept. I don't think they will, but if they get swept. The goal was to win a playoff series and to get yourself a little further down the road to what an eventual championship team looks like. And all the intangible stuff is there. I thought it was very telling that Spencer did what he said afterwards that everybody on this team really likes each other. And that is a very unusual thing. That guy's been around. That guy's seen some shit. He knows. Uh, but you you see it, right? I and mean, even just a little thing like when Luka gets knocked down to the, down at the end of game five and everybody comes and gets in. I forget, was it Mitchell's face who knocked him down? Clarkson? Uh, oh, but everybody, side. Side, everybody got in his face. I don't think last year's team does that. I really don't. So you have a team that has made tangible progress. You have a roster that plays now, is back to playing the style you need to play around Luka. Whether all the pieces are there or not, you know, you got you got to get to playing the right type of ball. You have a coach that works with this roster that has exceeded every expectation because Jason Kidd has, uh, and you have an identity. And so it's getting to the, if they did not get to the second round, you could say the season was progress, but you could not say it was a success. Now that progress and success are there. And that means that if, and I think when they lose to Phoenix in I'll say six games, uh, that's okay. That is totally fine. Everything from here on out, completely fine. It's house money. Yeah, it is. It totally is. This win, the Luka Doncic era that had begun four years ago did not need validation. It is very clear how good he is. It is very clear that the future is bright. It is very clear that the Mavericks are a good team with a generational talent. But if they needed one more little bit of validation, this first run series does it. Like winning, advancing, this does it. And I think that's good. I, I think that's that's important. I think it's important for this franchise for it to make the next step into this era where they very soon want to be title contenders. And look, you know, they sh- should lose to Phoenix. But honestly, I'm I don't even know if I'm going to make a prediction. Like I want to see how Game One goes. I, what if I really they win? Do. I I I don't I can't rule that out. I truly can't. I I cannot look at this team and I cannot look at Phoenix and think. If it was Golden State, I'd feel a little bit differently, I think. But yeah, know, I mean, Phoenix, is, yeah. Phoenix has beaten this team for five years. It's been five years of Phoenix it, beating I mean, them. Even they when they were bad. This team, though. We What's know that? this team is radically different than any of the three meetings they had in the regular season. No, again, you can. it has been a half decade of that franchise beating this franchise when they were both bad, when one was good, when one was great. Every permutation. So until well, the I only actually thing see that's the- similar is is you know sure Phoenix is somewhat similar, but you know Dallas is not Dallas. I mean it's it's they're wearing the same jerseys they were wearing when they lost all those games. It doesn't mean that this team is anything similar to those other teams that lost. I mean theoretically yes, and theoretically no, because the best players on this team, with the exception of Spencer Dinwiddie, are still the same best players that were here. Uh, I guess Brunson I is not have- the same player. Brunt, yeah, well, you say that now, but then what happens if Mikel Bridges is guarding it for seven games? Luka Doncic is not the same player. Reggie Bullock is new. You know, Dorian Finney-Smith is not the same player. Sure, but on the other side, Mikel Bridges is even better than he was before. Devin Booker is even more efficient than he was before. Chris Paul sure. is as good as he's ever been. Phoenix, DeAndre Phoenix is, a machine. is better than he's been before. Phoenix is an absolute machine, and Dallas being competitive against them, which I believe they will be, 
is don't be competitive. A, yeah, yeah, it's such like that's that it that in itself is an accomplishment. But I just I just want to see what happens in game one before I I make any conclusive you know bets about how the series is how it's going to go. Is that fair? Hey, by all means, I'll say it now. Well, I, I think like it's Phoenix and six. Yeah. Also, I, I will predict it. I think it's Phoenix and six. It should be. It should be Phoenix and six. Like it, that's what it ought to be. But it's basketball, and every now and then, you can't predict it. I love it, especially when Luka Doncic is doing Luka Doncic things. All right, let's get out of here. Thanks everyone for listening. Congrats, Mavericks, on a second round, first time since the title, and uh, we will be talking to you very soon. Not sure when, but uh, I promise you soon. See ya. He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luca, big dick Donjic from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you hit? Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh my God! Oh! Oh! Shut it down! Oh Let's go home! <laughs> it's a wrap, Doug. Yeah, that is a wrap. <laughs> Woo!